Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We gather as your people for worship. We ask that you would speak to us. May we hear your word. And may it transform our lives and challenge us and comfort us and call us closer to you. And may as we hear your voice, may we respond this morning, but then let that response lead us throughout the week as we go to worship and follow and witness to you in your kingdom in the world. We ask this, Lord, in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The church calendar, or the Christian year, or the liturgical year, tells a story. Now, you've heard me say this before if you've been here. But I want to talk about it again, because sometimes we might wonder or forget and, and say, well, why is it that we here at Salem-Magley focus so much on these things? Specifically, you know, often I talk about the colors, and I mention the different seasons. And I'll mention, like I just did a moment ago, the lectionary readings, which are scripture passages that are appointed for every Sunday on the church calendar. And a committee or a group of Christian leaders from many different traditions around the world came together and they decided on these readings and it's called the Revised Common Lectionary and that's what we often read every Sunday. I don't always preach from the lectionary but all the other readings come from that. And the question is, well, why do we do this? So I have a little picture here to give you an idea of the Christian year. So you see it's a circle and this is the beginning and it goes around. So Advent starts and then you have Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. Now in the middle here, there are some other days that aren't on this calendar. And then you have where we're at now called Ordinary Time. So you will see how the calendar is split in half. You have the story of Jesus here, and then the story of God's people here. So the reason that we so closely follow the church calendar and the liturgical year is because it tells a story. And what it tells is our story. So the more that we hear this story and proclaim it every year, the more that this story becomes our story. And this is the story that we're invited into, the story of Jesus, which is the gospel. And that's why it's so important that we continue to every year follow this story. So today, it just so happens that the lectionary and the church calendar meet the present. We are... It's not actually on here, but like we're right here. There's one Sunday before Advent, and that's next week. And it's not on this calendar, but it's called Christ the King Sunday. It's the Sunday where Jesus as King is celebrated. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus is reigning as King. But then we start over and we re remember in Advent that we're still waiting for his return. But we are the week before that celebration. So we are like right here. And in the, the church calendar, that is when the story of the calendar meets the present world. The world we're all living. A world where from day to day we're waiting for Jesus to return. We're trying to live as faithful followers of Jesus and figure out how to do all of that. And that's exactly where we're at in the calendar. 
And if there's one word that, that can describe our present life, it is uncertainty. Right? Over the last two years, we've had a pandemic that completely changed life for a while. We're still trying to adjust to what it looks like now. And a lot of things have sort of gone to how we remember them, but we can't forget those two years. And then within that time frame, we've also had a lot of questions about public trust and a lot of upheaval in our own political system that has created a lot of uh, uncertainty about the future. And on top of that, right, we've had this war that's been happening over uh, in the area around Asia or between Ukraine and Russia. And we can't help but wonder, is that going to become a problem that we're going to have to really worry about in a real way? But even now, we feel the effects of that, right? We've seen all of these challenges and changes in our economic system. And it's easy for every person today to wonder, was my life better yesterday than it's going to be tomorrow? That's very real for a lot of people right now. There is uncertainty. And it just so happens that this uncertainty is exactly what the lectionary speaks to today. So if you're going to take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 21, we're going to be verses, verses 5 through 19 of Luke. So again, that's Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, Luke chapter 21, verse 5 starts on page 1500. Luke chapter 5, or chapter 21, verse 5. So as you're turning there to Luke chapter 21, <clears throat> we have to, to make sure we know where we're coming from in Luke. A couple weeks ago, we were in Luke, and we had the story of Zacchaeus. And in that story, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and he has to go through Jericho to get there. But now Jesus has arrived. Now this is his final trip to Jerusalem that ends in his crucifixion. Now Luke has already had Jesus there for a couple chapters. If we go back into chapter 20, we see that Luke has Jesus in Jerusalem having some discussions with religious leaders. And these discussions are leading to a lot of tension and conflict because Jesus is challenging the religious leaders and he is basically putting himself in their place and trying to say, I have more authority than you. What I say is just as important and has just as much weight and needs to be taken just as seriously as you. And he's challenging their authority. And so it's creating all of this tension. And into that story, we now enter with Luke chapter 21, verse 5. So this is how Luke starts this passage. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So it seems as if we sort of jump right into the middle of a story. But even though that is true, there's this abrupt transition. So even if you're reading chapter 21 and you read the first four verses, verse 5 seems to come out of nowhere. And that's because Luke is wanting to make this transition to talk about the temple. If you read Matthew's gospel, the story, and this same story comes up, it's a lot more natural. And I think Matthew's uh, telling of this story is more um, the original situation now, Matthew, or Luke just leaves some of those details out. But what happens is Jesus and Matthew and his disciples, they stay outside of Jerusalem on what's called the Mount of Olives. So if you've been to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives overlooks Israel or the, the, the city of Jerusalem on the outs, from the outside. So to get there, you have to leave the city and go through a valley and climb up onto a mountainside. 
And that overlooks the temple. So if in Jesus' day, this is what you would see. So this is a rendering of the temple. I think this actually might be a model. As in it's like a miniature model that you can see. Because if you look right here, you can see like this little plaque. I think you would like go somewhere and see this model. But you can also find lots of computer-generated images um, on the internet. So this right here, this gate would actually leave and you go right this way to go to the Mount of Olives. And there's some other gates over here. So for Jesus and his disciples, they're leaving by going outside the temple and they're going up to the Mount of Olives to their campsite where they're going to spend the night. And while they're going, his disciples notice the temple and they make a comment about it. Now the temple is massive. This is 40 square acres. It's on the top of the city. So you enter Jerusalem at, towards the bottom. You see daunting over the top this plateau on top of a mountain, and it's, there's this temple there. I mean, now you go, this is still there, that big giant area, but there's now, it's called the Dome of the Rock. It's actually a, it's a holy site for Muslims now. But that's where the temple was. And so you could not miss it. And King Herod, or Herod the Great, the first Herod, is the one who made it. And he made it as what he would say would have been a gift to the Jewish people, but really what it was was a bribe. He said, look, I'm going to make your temple really great. Please just behave. Do what I'd like. Don't cause problems and we'll all get along. And I'll make you this beautiful temple for you to worship in. So this was a temple, and the temple symbolized two things in Jesus' world. First, it symbolized Jewish unity. For the Jewish people, they did have a lot of uh, sex and disagreements. They had different theological traditions, but they all were united around the temple. The temple symbolized their hope. And it also symbolized the religious leaders' power. Because the Jewish religious leaders were the ones that controlled the temple, so they controlled the everyday lives of ordinary Jews. Because if you wanted to worship at the temple, you had to do what they wanted. So they had a lot of power. And so Jesus wants to speak about the temple. He wants to speak about the power of the religious leaders. And when his disciples bring up the temple, it's an opportunity for him to talk about it. So this is his response. But Jesus said, here in verse 6, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So what Jesus is saying is the time's coming very soon when this temple is going to be destroyed. Now, none of Jesus' disciples expected this. This is Jesus making a prophetic prediction. Now, for us, we read this, and I don't know what we think. I mean, maybe it doesn't mean much at all to you as far as, like, the, the gravity of, of what this would mean for a Jew. But this is equivalent to one of us going to Washington, D.C., looking at the White House, looking at the Capitol building, these beautiful buildings in our state capital, our, our nation capital. And then someone's saying, you know what? In a couple years, all these buildings are going to be destroyed. Now that's a terrifying thought, right? If our capital is destroyed, what does it mean for our country? If our government buildings are laying in ruins, right? It means that whatever we enjoy now for life is not at all like that life. And for Jesus' disciples, hearing that your temple will be destroyed was the same thing. The life they were hoping for was nowhere going to be near them if their temple is destroyed. And so what this does is it creates this future that is dark. And Jesus wants that. 
He wants his disciples to realize that the future is dark. Now, before we go to build bunkers and stockpile food, we need to listen to what Jesus is going to say. But as we listen, we need to realize he is saying to us too, the future is dark. But this is what he says in verse 7. Teacher, well, this is first their response. They asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? So his disciples are like, okay, if this is going to happen, Jesus, when? When is it going to happen? And can you give us a little inside information? Are you going to give us any clues so we know it's going to happen? The normal human response is we want God to do the work for us. Is Jesus going to oblige? This is his response. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, a kingdom against a kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. And then he continues to change the subject. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But in normal Jesus fashion, if you've read in the Gospels enough, you know that Jesus hardly ever answers people's questions in a straightforward manner. And again, he does that. Instead of answering their question, he says, be on guard. There are people who will tell you what you want to hear. They will tell you the signs. They will tell you the end is coming. And they'll say that they are who I am. He says, don't listen, they're all frauds. All right, we've all heard the stories of people predicting when the end's coming. Jesus says they're all frauds. And then he says, you're going to hear about nations wanting to fight nations. And you're going to hear about wars. You're going to hear about famines. You're going to hear about pandemics. All of those things are going to come and go. But he says that these aren't even signs. I have to go back a couple of verses. But the end will not come right away. And this great signs from heavens, what that's referring to is like eclipses and things in the earth, in, in the atmosphere. So all these things are coming, and none of them are actually signs. This is what's so important. Jesus says these things are going to happen, but they're not signs the end is coming. Instead, they are signs of the end is inevitable. But none of them should be taken as an indication that there's a clock starting to the end. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is he's saying that the future is certainly dark and uncertain, and you should not be surprised. You should expect the future to be uncertain. Right? Not very encouraging. But he continues. There's more. In verse 12, but before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. He's talking to his disciples now. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And, they will, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. So Jesus says, not only will these horrible things be happening and that there's a dark future but for my followers, there's even more specific challenges because people aren't going to like what you're about. 
And so they're going to hunt you down and they're going to question you and persecute you. And who is it that's going to be doing this? Well, for Jesus' specific followers, the ones he's talking to, it's the religious leaders. Because Jesus, remember, is challenging their authority. And even after Jesus is gone, they're going to, his followers are going to continue to challenge their authority and they're going to hunt down his followers just like him. Jesus wants his disciples to know that the future is dark and it is uncertain. But he says, you shouldn't be surprised. You should expect it to be uncertain and dark. So for us, we shouldn't be surprised that we had a pandemic. There's been pandemic after pandemic after pandemic. We just happen to have medicine that makes us think that'll never happen again. But now we realize that even with our modern medicine, it's no guarantee. There's been wars, there will be more wars. There's going to be natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes. And all these things we should expect. We should expect them. The future is dark, it is uncertain. And Jesus is saying this. So the question is, is there any hope? Well, verse 14, he starts to maybe give a little hope. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. Talking to them about when they go before these governors and kings. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your advers adversaries will be able to insist or resist or contradict. So Jesus says, look, you're going to go before these people, but I will help you. Sounds good. But then he says in 16, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. So it starts out hopeful and then it ends unhopeful. So this is what's really going on. And before we have resolution, there's one more verse, or maybe there's, there's two more verses, and it brings some revolution. Before we have this resolution, this is what we need to understand. In the story of Luke, Jesus has already told his disciples, I am going to be killed. He's told them, I think at least twice, maybe three times at this point. Here in a couple of days, they're going to see Jesus arrested and they're going to see him executed for what is said is crimes against the Roman Empire because he is basically trying to overthrow the king. Jesus says, a time is coming when it's going to look like I lost. But I'm telling you now that I have authority over the religious leaders and he's also made clear, he just had, we hear the story, of the, the triumphant entry uh, on Palm Sunday, where Jesus basically comes and says, I am king of the world. He is claiming that he is king over Caesar and all the other kings in the, in the world. He has power over Satan and the powers of darkness. Jesus claims all of this. But here in a couple days, his followers are going to see him, and they're going to be like, wait a minute. You just died. How can you have victory? And so Jesus has to prepare his followers for a time when it might look like he's lost. And for us, this can very much feel like where we live. It's not hard to look around at the world and be like, did Jesus really win? He promises all these things, but we look around and that's not what we see. We see the opposite. And that's why Jesus wants all of us to know it's so important to expect uncertainty. It's going to look like a while like he's lost. He has defeated evil, but not completely yet. 
And because of that, evil will have its days of victory. And we've all experienced the days of evil victory. Whether it's been illness or crisis that happened in our family, losing loved ones, sickness. We've all experienced evil. And Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised. The future is dark and it is uncertain. But there's a huge but after that. This is what he says in verse 18 and 19. But not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Jesus says, not a hair on your head will perish. You will win life. Now we need to qualify this a little bit because we know that many Christians throughout history have, in fact, been killed for their faith. But we have to keep in mind that for Jesus, in the story that the Bible is wanting to invite us into, it's just not what we see. There's so much more going on. And last week when we talked about that apocalyptic literature, if you're here, that passage from Daniel. And actually this passage is also considered apocalyptic. It's this zoomed out view of the whole world. And we got to remember there's things happening that we can't see. And this battle between the powers of darkness and the goodness and light of God. And Jesus has already won the victory. But we don't always see that until his return. And while we wait, we sometimes experience the darkness and evil of the world. Which if you ever come to a funeral, that's a story of a funeral. That there is death, but for those in Jesus, there's hope of resurrection. But in the middle, we wait. But Jesus says, have hope. Don't worry about the uncertainty and the darkness. Because I have got you. I've got this. Instead of worrying, he says, stand firm and you will win life. So this is what we must realize. And this is very true for us today. Deception, divisions, and disasters are coming. There's no escaping that. But we will win life in Jesus. And that's why we stand strong. Victory will have, or uh, evil will have days of victory. But we know that in Jesus, we will win life. And now we think back to that circle I told you at the beginning. The reason it's so important for us as a community of followers of Jesus, a community of faith, to live that circle, the reason it's so important for us to be here, to be reminded constantly of that story, that is how we remember that we win life. That story that we tell every year is our reminder. When we come and we receive communion, that's our reminder of the life we are guaranteed. The life that we've already been given and won through Jesus' sacrifice. But Jesus says, you are left on an earth and the future is dark and uncertain and you should not be surprised. So in that sense, the future is certain. It's just darkness and divisions and deceit and disasters. They're all coming, but we will win life in Jesus. So this is our present. And the present isn't always bright. 
but we know the resurrection is coming. Next week, we're going to celebrate Jesus is king. The week after that, we're going to be reminded that we're all waiting for his return. And then we're going to start that process over of celebrating his birth, then awaiting his resurrection, and awaiting his death, and celebrating his resurrection. That's our story. And that defines us as the people of God. And it helps us remember that we will win life in Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised when Jesus tells us that the evil will have days of victory. But we must never forget that Jesus has won. And he offers life to those who remain faithful. So today, we shouldn't be surprised. Deceptions, divisions, and disasters are coming. But we will win life in Jesus. There will be people who try to deceive us. We need to remember their frauds and remain faithful to Jesus. There will be divisions in nations and between people. There will be war. There will be economic and political upheaval. None of this should surprise us. We remain strong in Jesus, and we will win life. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, pandemics, natural disasters are coming. We shouldn't be surprised. But when these come, we don't need to worry because we know that in Jesus, we will win life. This is our present. Deceptions, divisions, and disasters are coming. But we can face those knowing that we don't need to worry. We have Jesus with ultimate authority. And with him, we will win life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have this story towards the end of the lectionary and also toward the end of Jesus' life when he knew that this transition was coming, this moment of his proclaimed victory, a moment when there would be a destruction of the temple declaring that Jesus alone was the authority of the world. But there's no doubt that this leaves lots of uncertainty for your followers in those days. And in our days, we have our own versions of the destruction of the temple. We have our own events that create upheaval in the darkness that we can fear and the uncertainty of the future. Lord, may we not forget and may we trust that you've told us that this will happen, but that we need not worry, for you will guard and protect us and we will win life in you. May we hold strong to that promise, Lord Jesus. May we make your story our story. And may we hold on to those promises and await your resurrection. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.